Um, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. My name's Tom, and I, I've grown up in this church. If I haven't met you before, I uh, moved down to Melbourne three years ago, and I'm studying at uni there. And what are you studying? Tom? I'm studying a bachelor of commerce. Good question. Um, and so each summer I come home and I ledge off my parents, get a bit of free board, and. And so this time I came home and Noah's asked me to, to share something. And I was thinking about what I was going to share and I found this passage and I think it's really, really a really good passage actually. And because and I, I, I've had a month to think about it, I, I had all these ideas coming along and then so I came in yesterday to practice it and I was timing it uh, and I clocked on at 45 minutes. So we could be here all day. Um, so last I did a lot of last minute rearranging and cutting and I wanted to distill this parable down to its most basic form because at the heart of it, it's actually something really beautiful. Uh, it's Matthew 22, 1 to 14. If you want to open up that passage uh, or turn on your phone. Um, before, uh, while you're doing that, I just want to set up the, our time. Uh, I think... All humans have this deep, basic longing. We have this desire for, for something more. We, we have this ache inside of us that, that something isn't right. There's a discontent with, with where things are, this mess that I live in. And I need something to give me fulfillment, give me meaning, give me happiness, give me purpose. And this parable is told to a group of people who actually knew what the solution was to that longing, but they decided to go fill it with something else. And Jesus is saying, actually, what you're doing there, it's like, it's like this king through a royal wedding, and it's the king throwing for the crown prince. It's the once-in-a-lifetime event. And what you've done is he's gone and invited you personally, and they, these religious people, the people Jesus is talking to, they rejected it. And he's saying, that's, that's what it's like. And they've gone, oh, I think I've got something better to do. And so in telling this story, Jesus tells us two things. I want to pull out, uh, out of this parable. He tells us what the solution to our longing is. And he tells us how this solution is radically different to every other thing we try and fill this hole with. So that sounds a bit abstract. I'll try and put some meat on the bone as we go along. Um, so let's have a read the passage. It's Matthew 22, 1 to 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who invited to the wedding feast. But they wouldn't come. Again, he sends other servants, saying, Tell those who invited, see, I've prepared my dinner. My ox and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited, they're not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite them to the wedding feast as many as you find. And the servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both the good and the bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But the king came in to look at the guests and saw a man who had no wedding going. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here with that wedding going? 
I am speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Blind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many called, but few are chosen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this parable. We thank you that you are a God who didn't stay distant, but you came down and you revealed yourself to us. We thank you that at the heart of this parable is something really beautiful. And well, I pray um, as I'm talking that people would be understanding what I'm saying and that they would see that you are the solution to this longing. Um, I pray you bless this time. Amen. So, quick summary. Well, what have we seen? We've seen there's a group of people. They're invited to this once-in-a-lifetime royal wedding feast. And what happens? They reject, and they don't reject it once, they reject it twice. And some of them don't just reject this invitation, but they go and kill the servants that are inviting them to the best thing in town. It's really bizarre, right? And why is Jesus telling this parable? What are they rejecting? What is, what is, this, what is this story trying to convey? What they're doing is they're, they're rejecting the solution to their longing. And they're rejecting the very thing that will actually satisfy them. And so this, this brings me to the first point, which is he reveals, Jesus reveals in this parable what the solution to our longing is. And that is God and his kingdom. Now, that, that sounds really, that's a pretty loaded statement, right? I'm telling you what the answer to your deepest longings are. And I'm saying it's God. And that's, that's. A loaded statement. So let's let's unpack what I'm saying there, because, and I think you might see where I'm coming from. The first thing I'm saying is that there is that the things that we do fill our longing with this this deep ache inside of us, they don't actually fulfil us. The second thing I'm saying is God is the thing that will actually fulfil that, and I'm saying that that God who fulfils you is actually actually is a really it's actually a really good thing. It's not it's not a bad thing. So let's look at the first one. Things we turn to fulfillment don't actually fulfill us. Okay, so this might age a few people in the room. Who has heard of Avicii? Avicii, the music. Not many people, okay. Um, so he, he's this Swedish DJ, world famous. Um, he, he's wrote countless hit songs Wake Me Up, The Levels, The Days, Hey Brother. He's been nominated for heaps of awards from all the top music institutions, Billboard, the Grammys, MTV, People's Choice Awards. So like this guy has everything. He, he, he makes music for a living, he travels for a living, he's rich, he's famous, he can have any girl he wants, and he has all the recognition that any person would ever desire. Like this guy has everything, he has everything. But then in early 2018, the world was left reeling when News broke that he had committed suicide on a vacation. And I just want to read out a statement that his parents put out on the post his suicide. It, it's, it's heavy, but it's very revealing. And it's, it's actually very candid. Let's, let's read it. Our beloved Tim of Edgy was a seeker, a fragile artistic soul searching for answers to existential questions. An overachieving perfectionist who travelled and worked hard at a pace that led to extreme stress. But when he stopped touring, he wanted to find a balance in life, to be happy and to do what he loved most, music. He really struggled with thoughts about meaning, life, happiness. He couldn't go any further. 
It wanted to find peace. Now, what we, what we see with Avicii, and we actually see this with a lot of celebrities who, in their most honest moments, admit to this. They admit that they have everything, and yet that deep longing, that hate inside of them, isn't filled. And I think all of our life experiences would testify to that. That they, that they, we go along life and we're trying to find something that will answer this meaning. So we, we fill it with all sorts of things. We fill it with, we fill it with relationships. We fill it with career. We fill it with traveling. We fill it with local success. We fill it with sporting success. We fill it with business success. And all those things are actually really good things. They're all great, but they all leave us. They all leave us. Unfulfilled. What does this mean? We've got this desire, but then nothing we plug it with doesn't like ever fulfills it. What does this mean? How do we reconcile this? C.S. Lewis has a really good quote that, that I think answers this, this, this question. How do we reconcile this? Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well... There's such thing as water. Humans feel sexual desire. Well, there's something that's sex. If I find in myself a desire, this longing, which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Instead, it proves that earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. What, what's he saying? He's saying we have this hate, we have this longing inside of us, and nothing fulfills it. Nothing can truly satisfy it. They fulfill it for a little while, but they don't actually deeply satisfy it. And he, he's saying that doesn't mean that this is just some fraudulent feeling. He says it's actually something else not earthly is meant to fill it. And, I, and I'd argue, and I think what the Bible is saying, says God is the thing that will fulfill that. Nothing will give you the sure hope, the, the satisfaction, the meaning, the purpose that you need, like God can. Tim Keller puts it really well. As Augustine said, if there is a God who created you, then the deepest chambers of your soul cannot be satisfied with anything less. That is how great the human soul is. If Jesus is the creator Lord, then by definition, nothing else can satisfy you like he can. Nothing else can give you the significance, the security, the affirmation that the author of glory and love can. So we've seen that we have this longing that nothing else could satisfy. And, and what it points to is that there's actually something not earthly is meant to satisfy it. And, and, and the Bible seems to be saying that's, that's God. But you're, like, you're left going, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I agree that something not earthly may, may be the actual thing to fulfill it. But the Christian God, he doesn't sound that good. And I think that's because we, the way that we are presented what God, the way that God's kingdom and who God's like is presented to us, we're often, it's presented like a handmaid's tale. We think we have a, we have a handmaid's tale understanding of what the kingdom of God is like. And... What it is, what the Hermes tale is, is this novel was written in the 1960s by this woman called Margaret Atwood. It's now this hit TV show. And it describes this dystopian world where religious zealots have taken over the US. They've, they've established this totalitarian theocracy, which is a government run by religious people. 
And they are oppressive, they're cruel, they're brutal. It, it, it's a terrible place. People are forced to speak in religious cliches. And even worse, there's only, only a few fertile women left. And so what they do, they, they assign these fertile women to bear the children of religious leaders. And people who aren't fertile, more than men, they actually have to work as forced slaves. And of course, Brett Barracking for Offred, who's the main character, to escape, to break free from this oppressive regime. It, it, it's, it's a terrible, terrible regime. And people think that's what God is trying to set up. A regime where freedoms are restricted, there's no fun, it's a terrible place to live. And to be honest, a lot of Christians have said and done many things that actually have hurt people, and we've done it in Jesus' name. And so we actually deserve people to be slightly skeptical of us. But what does Jesus say? What does the person who is the center of Christianity, what does he say to try and usher in? Let's just look at the very first verse of the parable, the very first half of verse 2. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. He's saying the kingdom of heaven, the place where God is, is making everything new, where he's trying to, where, where his good design for humanity is manifested, that, that is like a royal feast. And imagine what a royal feast is like. It's elaborate, it's decadent, it's over the top, there's laughter, there's dancing, there's joy. Even look at the weddings that we've had on in the last few months. There's celebrations. There's love, there's dancing, there's music, there's speeches. People are on this roller coaster of emotion from feeling all loving and gooey, and then they're feeling odd, laughing at the, the at what the groom and the bride have done. And it's this, this journey, and it's this, this amazing little picture of this feast. And God is saying that that is what the kingdom of God is like. This isn't just some reality that you have to begrudgingly accept. Oh, yes, I've got to accept God, and it's not trash. It's actually saying, no, it's not even a neutral thing. It's actually this solution to your longing, it's like a wedding feast. It's what you long for. It's the best thing ever. And as I come to the end of this point, there's one last thing that I think is really significant in just this first bit. Let's just just read from verse 8. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who are invited are not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went to the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. What does the king do when these guys reject his invitation? He goes and opens it up to everyone. The good and the bad of society. So that means, that means, because people often come to church and they think, oh, I'm not good enough or... There's a misconception about you have to work or you have to, you have to be a good person. What he's saying, this invitation is sitting in the mailbox. It's sitting in your lap. It's sitting in your Facebook event section. It's sitting there and it's saying, it doesn't matter if you're good or bad, rich or poor, young or old. Yeah. It doesn't, it, it's, it's, if you're popular or unpopular, a winner or a loser, failure or success, this invitation is sitting and is waiting for you to accept it. That's, that's us. This invitation is open to us now. So we've seen that the solution to our longing is God, and it's actually a really good thing, and he's inviting us to it. And that brings us to the second point, which is this solution is actually, this, this 
this thing, God, that will satisfy our soul is actually radically different to the other things that we try and satisfy our soul with. Now let's have a look at this. Well, the second thing that Jesus, the second thing he teaches, sorry, is that this solution is radically different. If it's true, if it's true, what I'm saying is true, that this long inside of us is, is only satisfied by God. If it's a God-shaped hole, is what some people have called it, then whatever we try to put in this in this longing, whatever we try to solve it with, actually becomes the little G God, doesn't it? And actually, I'll show you in a second that what actually happens, it becomes like all the ancient gods that we see in mythic times. They're these angry gods who demand everything of you. And, that, and when we put career, relationships, family, put that in that longing, they actually start being, they actually start acting like that too. Follow with me. A career, let's just say we try to fill that longing with a career. A career will make you happy and it'll fill that longing. So what do you do? I've got to work hard at school. And once I've worked hard at school, get a good pay tag, get a good pay tag, get into the best uni. Once I'm at the best uni, I'll get an internship. Once I've got an internship, I'll go and impress the graduate recruiters, the graduate job recruiters. Once I'm there, I'll get the job. Once I've got the job, I'll get a promotion. Once I've got a promotion, I'll get into a really good company. Once I'm in a really good company, eventually, somewhere along this journey, I'll find some, I'll get to some state where this aching side of me is actually fulfilled. But if you mess up, if you mess up along the way, it's not going to forgive you. That very thing that you're supposed to, that career, that's the thing that's supposed to fill you and you fail at getting to the career point, that, that, end, that end point, what happens? Well, let's, let, let's take relationships. Relationships will make you happy. And that will fulfill you. And so what do you do? Oh, I've got to be beautiful enough. I've got to be charming enough. I've got to act flirty enough, but not too much that he thinks that I'm trying to get his attention too much. I've got to, I've got to act in a certain way that will get, his, get their attention or be funny. And then eventually, once I've got the guy or got the girl, I'll be satisfied. But what happens when you fail? What happens when you don't get a relationship? Or what happens when that relationship fails. What happens there? Relationship as a God, relationship trying to fill this longing, it says bad luck. You're not going to get to the point where you need a relationship to fulfill you. You're not going to get that because by very nature, by very definition, you haven't achieved it. So it doesn't forgive you. Well, take one more. A farm will make you happy or a small business will make you happy. So I work really hard and I try to achieve a name for myself and I make this business and people will look at this business or this farm and they'll say, oh man, they are amazing. They're amazing and they're hardworking. And I'll respect them. Once we've got people's acceptance and approval, then I'll be happy. What happens when you're hit by a drought? Or when you're hit by a, a hard economic time and your business is failing and you're not achieving anything? This God's not going to go, oh, it's right. This God, small business or farm, is actually going to say, bad luck, man. You're not going to have this thing that's going to fill you. These stories, these things we try and fill this long with, they demand everything. If we mess up, they don't forgive us. They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't actually say, they don't say, have another go. So what does, what does Jesus say in this parable? Let's read from, read from verse 8 again, but read a bit further. Then he said to the servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out to the main roads and they gathered all whom they found. 
both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But the king came in to look at the guests. He saw there was a man with no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? Well, let's imagine this. The king's gone, those guys aren't worthy. They've deliberately rejected my invitation, the best thing in town. Go and invite everybody else. So these servants run out. They, they go to the traveling trades person. They go to the homeless person. They go to the person with leprosy. They go to the person who lives down the street, the person living inside the city, the person living outside the city. All social, socioeconomic. They're all invited. So they rock up. Hey, the wedding, the royal wedding feast, you're invited. Me. I'm invited to this feast. So what happens? They rush in, they go straight, go straight to the palace, and they, they rock up to the palace. The big marble colonnades are there. The, the gardens are beautifully trimmed and immaculate. The royal guard is out there, their brass is shining. And you, and you struggle to hear the music humming on the inside. And there's an air anticipation. Like, like this wedding feast, it's going to be incredible. But then the story cuts to this really sort of obscure story where there's this guy who's in there with no wedding garment. And what, what does this mean? Now, to be honest, Jesus doesn't really answer why the guy why in, in the story is speechless. We don't get an answer. But the thing is, at its most basic form, the guy is not wearing the appropriate, the, most, the suitable wedding clothes needed for this event. And what's happened? Guess right now. And at this point, it's actually looking very bleak. I've told you that career won't fulfill you and it won't forgive you when you mess up. I've told you relationships won't forgive you and, and it won't fulfill you and they won't forgive you when you mess up and you fail. And then I've told you that God is actually the thing that's going to fulfill you. But then if you mess up, you're thrown out. This is, this is really bleak. And yet this is where the gospel is radically different. Because what I haven't told you, and this is something the Jewish people would have known immediately, is that the king provided every guest with the perfect wedding garments needed to enter the feast. He gave them clean wedding garments. He knows who he's invited. He knows no one has the silk or the fabric or the decorators or the designers needed to create royal standard clothing. So what's he do? I want you at this feast so bad that I'm going to give you the wedding garments needed. And what does this what does this mean for what what, what does this mean for us? What, what does it mean for what this story is alluding to? It means that this God, He says to us, I know about your failures. I know about your wrongdoing. Like that song before, I know about your addictions. I know about all this thing. You have failed me. You have hurt other people. You failed to love me and love others. You've You've rejected me and tried to fill that hole that was only designed for me and tried to fill it with something else. But what does God say? He says, but you are so precious. You are so loved. I want you at this feast so bad that I am going to do what is needed to clean you, to present you with the royal wedding gown so you can enter in and enjoy this feast. And and that's what God did. He came down. He came into this mess. He lived a life that we couldn't live. He loved God perfectly. He loved others perfectly. He treated people with the respect they deserve. And, and, and then he went to the cross and he took all of our failures, all of our wrongdoing, and nailed them to the cross. And what does this mean? It means that we could have his clean righteousness, his clean wedding garments, and he would take ours and nail them to the cross. 
Now let's let's just go back to that story that I just put in, that I told a few moments ago. What was I saying? I was saying career won't fulfill you, and then it won't forgive you. But what does God say? He says, God is the only thing that will deeply satisfy the deepest chambers of your soul, and you have failed Him, and but you are so loved, you are so precious to Him that He is willing, and He He did He sent Jesus to die to give us the clean clothing we need. The, this is, this is actually extremely good news because everything else we fulfill, that we try and satisfy ourselves with, they won't fulfill us and they won't forgive us. But God says, I'm the thing that will forgive you. I'm the thing that will fulfill you. And I will forgive you eternally when you fail. That means we can come in and enjoy. We can enjoy this wedding feast. We can enjoy a relationship with God. We can enjoy these things. And God says, your entrance doesn't hinge on you. Your entrance hinges on Jesus. Your relationship is secure. It's stable because it's anchored in what Jesus has already done once and for all. When, when, you, when you mess up or when you, when you don't live the way that God calls us to live, he doesn't go, in like, he doesn't go, good cup, you're out. He goes, come back to me, son and daughter. I love you. I paid for that. Come back in and enjoy the thing that will satisfy your soul, me. This, this means if you if you tell me, Tom, Tom, but I've had a terrible issue. You don't know what I was doing last night, Tom. I, I, this porn addiction that I really struggle with, Tom. I've had a terrible week. I don't live up to the standards that God wants. But what does God say? He says, I pay for that. I've absorbed the cost of that personally, so you can come in and enjoy me. Come in and enjoy this feast. Your entrance does not hinge on you. This, this is exactly what we need. And he does it for us. He gives us entry for us. The reality is, and, and what this story is honest about, is if, if we want to try and earn God's favour, if we want to go to God and say, hey God, I'm good enough. I... I'm going to live up to your standards perfectly and I, and, and I want you to judge me by my works. God's not going to force us to accept his wedding done. God's not going to compel us to do anything. He's just saying, receive this. This is on offer. Do you want it? Take it. And, and with this story, this, if, if you don't want to be judged, if you don't want to be used as wedding garments, if you don't want to receive those, he won't force them on you. The thing is, and we'll be judged by that as well. We'll be judged according to our, our attempts at trying to live up to that standard. But the thing is, God doesn't want us to try and earn entry in. He's saying, just come in and enjoy my goodness. Come in and enjoy my grace. Come in and enjoy the free gift that I'm giving you. He wants us to enjoy and delight in Him. We don't deserve these garments, but He's giving them to us anyway. This is actually, this should transform the insides of us because we know that we are accepted. We, are, we have the thing that we most desperately need. And God's saying, I'm never going to take that away. He satisfied me. That, that final verse, for many a call, but few are chosen. It, it's, it's somber. It's, it sort of has a heavy note to it. But if you think about it, He's encouraging you, don't be like the people who are going to reject this invitation. Think about it. 
don't, don't, if, if you haven't accepted the wedding garments, don't, don't rejectly say, engage. Wrestle with the questions. See if this is actually true. See if what I'm saying is actually true. See if what this parable is saying is actually true. Don't go away with these questions unanswered. He's saying, engage. Like Noel said a few weeks ago, doubts and questions like the ants and the pants of faith. It means that you're actually thinking about it. He's saying, actually engage. Don't be like the, the people who reject this invitation. And if you haven't received, and you have flown a wedding garment, let that actually sink in. Let that wash over you. Let that wash over that you are accepted, you are loved, you are a son and daughter, no matter what you do. You are loved by God. You can find rest for your soul. You are accepted. And, and that's what communion is pointing to. And Ken's going to lead us in communion in a minute. But this is a small meal that reminds us that Jesus' body was broken, his blood was spilled, he died. He took all of our sins so that we could have his righteousness, his perfect life put onto us so we can enter in and enjoy the feast. This is what this feast is from. This is what this small meal is reminding us of. This, this while on the surface this parable may look like a heavy thing, it actually contains the beauty and the, the, the thing that all humans need. It contains God as our solution. And he says, you don't have to work for it. You're accepted and you are loved. Let, let, let's just let's pray. Father, we thank you that you don't leave us to try and live lives that will be filled with despair. You don't, you don't leave us trying to go after all these things that we think will satisfy us, but actually don't. You go, I'm the thing that will satisfy you, and I'm going to come down and give to you. I'm going to make a way for you to have a relationship with me. Lord, thank you so much for that. I pray for the people who, who, who don't, don't really know, that, that, that they're still trying to figure it out. I pray that you would stir in them and you would make them ask questions and think about this. Because if this is really what you're promising us, then we're, all we're doing is missing out if we don't accept you. Lord, I pray that we would think about this and have rest for our souls in you. I thank you so much for this parable.